Welcome to Kite Line, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in Indiana's prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on Kite Line, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before we get started with this week's theme, we want to share some prison-related news. According to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, the American Civil Liberties Union of Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania Institutional Law Project filed a federal lawsuit on June 26th alleging that the living conditions at the Fayette County Prison, a county jail, are cruel and inhumane. The suit also claims that jail violates inmates' constitutional due process, free speech, and privacy rights. The conditions at the jail include rats and cockroaches, black mold, exposed wiring, repeated sewage backups into inmates' cells, lack of running water, and extreme temperature fluctuations during the winter and summer. According to the lawsuit, quote, It is of no surprise that prisoners routinely describe other prisons where they have been housed as heaven and observe that they are treated worse than animals. Parts of the jail that date back to 1889 are plagued by stress fractures, sinkholes, corroded wiring, asbestos, and lead paint. In September of last year, the prison's basement, where the medical facility is located, flooded with raw sewage after a pipe burst. On February 1st of 2017, a large-scale uprising took place at James T. Vaughn Correctional Center in Delaware. Inmates took control of their building, took a number of guards hostage, and they called the media. They released a list of demands saying that the reason for the uprising was both related to the conditions in which they were being confined, as well as to the election of Donald Trump. So in the same way that people uh, outside of prison walls were getting organized to respond to this national moment, people within prisons were also organizing amongst themselves and trying to show their power within the prison walls. And during the uprising that lasted 18 hours, one guard was killed. And so in October of 2017, the state of Delaware indicted 18 prisoners in connection with this uprising, 16 of them specifically being charged with the murder of this guard. And since this has happened, prosecutors in Delaware have been pushing for Delaware to reinstate the death penalty, specifically to kill these inmates that were involved with this uprising. After the uprising, all of the 18 inmates that were charged were transferred to two separate facilities, one being Howard R. Young and the other one being Sussex Correctional Institution. And so nine of them are at one prison and nine of them are at the other. And at both prisons, they're completely cleared a tier of the prison for them to be held by themselves. They're in their cells 23 hours a day. They're not allowed to go outside for rec time. They're only allowed to have rec time inside. They've installed cameras outside of all of their cells. The inmates think have both video and audio recording. And so they've been experiencing a lot of heightened security and a lot of repression. They, they've been beat many times by the guards. They've had their, their water shut off in their cells in response to going on a hunger strike. They've had dogs released on them while they were shackled. They've had weapons pointed at their faces and uh, they just daily experience really intense repression. And it's just very clear that the, the state is trying to break them. 
that it's very clear that the state sees that this is a group of people who is sticking together and that they want to break them. There are things that you can do to plug into this case, stay informed, and also help support the Bond prison rebels. An easy thing for you to do is to go on itsgoingdown.org and look up an article called Live from the Trenches, the Vaughn 17 Speak. There you will find uh, the zine that was recently compiled of letters from different Vaughn prisoners. There's a printable version and a PDF version for download. And there's also a informational sheet about a phone zap to support the Vaughn 17 that will be happening on Monday, July 2nd. All the information of who to call and the script of what to say is listed up there. We want to mention that phone zaps or call-ins are really great ways to show the prisoners that we actually know about their struggles and the repression they're facing and that we care. And it's also an exciting opportunity to shut down a prison office for the entire day. Another really great way you can support these people is writing them letters. Um, all of their addresses are listed in the zine. When we show up for them, it strengthens our connections across walls, strengthens our movements in general. There's many ways to get involved. Please read the zine um, and share it with your friends. We gotta do what we can out here to show our comrades on the inside that their fight is our fight and we together will be able to fight for liberation and freedom for all. For this episode, we're returning to the conditions in immigrant detention centers. Alejandra spoke at the Fight Toxic Prisons Conference in Pittsburgh, which was held earlier this month. Growing up in California, she was the only child in her family to be undocumented. Then as an adult, she had a minor arrest that led to her incarceration in Eloy Deportation Center. Now, she sheds light on the conditions in the women's detention facilities. Alejandra continued her organizing behind the walls of the detention center, and now that she's out, she's busy trying to share information about the conditions inside as well as aid immigrants affected by deportation. Her message is vital in this current political climate. She makes sure to remind us that conditions in these detention centers are often the same as in prisons. My name is Alejandra. I am from Arizona and I live in DC. Can everybody hear me good? In the back? Dope. Okay. I am a, basically a, reprodu a reproductive justice organizer. Um, some people call me immigrant rights organizer. I like to call myself a proud abolitioner, um, even though that's such a privilege. And sometimes I can't really do abolition work. But um, I kind of do this every day, right? I'm always resisting against the systems that have been oppressing me since I was really young. Um, I was detained recently in Eloy Detention Center in Arizona. It is a private prison run by CCA. And um, I was detained there for the second time. I had spent two years and four days before, back in 2011. I lost my resident card over drug paraphernalia. I finally got out on bond, and I was out on bond, and I basically really got politicized when I was in, inside. I got to meet the Dream Nine. I was a part of some hunger strikes inside. I got to really see what was happening in my own backyard. I am from Arizona, but I never really knew what was going on. I, had, I lived a very privileged young adult life until I started getting in trouble, um, which was ironically after college. I would have thought I would have been smarter. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I was, the, 
the, uh, also let me just highlight that I'm a product of my state of Arizona, right, with the criminal injustice system and the sentencing structures. Uh, the DUIs that I got there, for example, that they're using against me could, are not deportable and are not felonies in other, in other states, but in Arizona they are. So that's also a thing that everybody should know that every state is different and certain sometimes things are not deportable and sometimes they are. Um, I was found basically already deportable, but we kind of interrupted that and I'm fighting for political asylum right now. Plain and simple, black and white, the drug paraphernalia charges made me deportable and it didn't matter that my mom's been a U.S. citizen forever. I fought for derivative citizenship in there, that's why it took so long. Um, besides the fact that there's a backlog and they don't care in immigration detentions, they also, those are also prisons, they also want to detain you for profit and fill up their quotas. Um, so. Basically, my mom's a U.S. citizen. Everybody's a citizen. I'm the only one that never got petitioned for. We just never needed to. We lived in, in Cali back then. You didn't really struggle as a Mexican person because it was Mexico. Yeah, my mom just never petitioned for me, which, which now, you know, there was a lot of guilt um, there because that's the only reason why I'm going through this, right? Like, if I were to be a citizen, I would have just gotten probation like everybody else and kept it moving. But now, uh, for eight years now, I've been facing this criminalization through the criminal and immigration penal system. The reason why they let me out again on another bond um, was because the community really organized. They really put pressure. Um, you know, we got a lot of petitions, a lot of signatures. I mean, all the whole thing, and a lot of people really resisting, right? And um, even though I have a criminal record, like I also get to do, to be here and make mistakes and keep moving and creating the future that I want to. Um, I came home after forty-two days, and those forty-two days, I was able to see how. Um, how much worse the private prison has been able to treat the facility um, like a prison, right? So I think sometimes it's really important for us to say that their prisons are not detention centers. Um, they're actually jails and prisons. Sometimes even worse, right? Um, you can't touch your family members when you go to Eloy. You can't touch your children. If you do, you can get your visits taken away. Um, you only get an hour, if that. Um, I mean, the food is just like, not. there's no nutritional food there, right? So a lot of folks... Um, have to depend on commissary, which then puts a lot of money in those private people, those profiteers that are making money that way, right? If it's not from the phone services, if it's not, even even when you're when when folks come and visit, right? They sell them stuff in the vending machine. Like there's always people making money off of this. I think the biggest thing for me was the health up, the healthcare process. Now there was no benefit of the of the doubt for people there. There was no way for them to really like see a doctor unless you woke up like at 4.30 in the morning to be ready for the 5 a.m. sick call, which is like the only time you can actually talk to somebody. And then when you go, you have to make an appointment. So if you just get sick and you're crying, something's happening, like you gotta wait till five in the morning to go to sick call. Um, my roommate was like literally to the point that um, she's really constipated because the food is really awful. People build, uh, people actually get ulcers, um, acid reflux, you, you just build other stuff in there, right? Um, and she actually started bleeding and like had like hemorrhoid situation and then one day she was literally crying and I asked if I can share this because it's kind of, people don't like to talk about rectums, <laughs> but she was bleeding from there. It was such a big deal to me and I couldn't understand why she couldn't see a doctor and she didn't get to see a doctor that day because she didn't go to sick call at five in the morning and the process is you just have to go at five in the morning so you have to wait for the next day. Um, so it's just really inhumane the way that they treat folks there, period. They're trained to treat folks like they are people that are violent and when you hear the rhetoric on the in the TV and like all of that that people are violent and these people shouldn't be here from making Mexicans from asylum seekers and let me say also that there is a difference between refugee folks and just undocumented immigrant folks um, 
and you guys can totally look that up later but or do that that work but a lot of the folks that are here are just basically they're asking for help right they're like literally fleeing their countries um or are women that have been survivors of domestic violence and of drug abuse and sexual assault um people who've been pulled over because they didn't have a driver's license and they were with their homie or their family member who was also an undocumented person and now they have human smuggling charges in there. So the, the, the level of criminality now, right, the things that they're able to criminalize is because of the Department of Justice, right? The Department of Justice, as I already said, Jeff Sessions, number one enemy, um, th that they weren't gonna investigate anything the Department of Homeland Security was doing. Has anybody heard of the zero tolerance? So the zero tolerance makes literally folks coming to the border to ask for help, it makes that literally a, crim a, a criminal offense. Um, it's criminalizing everybody. Right now in Seattle, Tacoma, and I'll talk about the Chingala Migra FIs tour that I'm a part of in a second. But in Seattle right now, they just, and one of the federal prisons there, um, they just received over 200 moms that were separated from their children. And now they're being held in an actual prison facility. So, um, yeah, so been resisting ever since, right? And like understanding that like my fight is not over, especially not when people are still incarcerated um, in prisons that are like profiting only private prisons and it's unfortunate that Eloy Detention Center is also the one number one employee employer number one employer in Arizona so a lot of people just uh, and it's really intentional and then like 6,000 people of those 12,000 that live in Eloy are incarcerated in Eloy um, so yeah so it brings me to coming home really being celebrated um, lots of people came to the detention center to uh, to go to my court and the federal agent was able, the federal judge it gave me a bond, the same bond again, even though ICE tried to say that I was a flight risk, even though ICE said that I had, you know, all of these things, reason why I was a flight risk, even though I've been coming to court ever since. Mind you, I was on ICE parole. There is a thing that's called ICE parole. Since I've been released with the bond, I was checking in all the time with immigration. So that in itself was awful all the time. Always going in there thinking, I don't know if I'm gonna come back out for five years. And, so yeah, I came home, celebrated to Cardi B, celebrated to <laughs> drinks everywhere, but also to the police right there. I, I was walked out of the detention center, by, uh, the jail, by a deportation officer who said, damn, you have a really loyal family out there of supporters because for the last four hours that they held me there, it was a dust storm. And I was ready to be let out a long time ago, but they just... They just left me there on purpose. And that's how I knew because he was like, you got some loyal supporters, you know? So they're enjoying like literally all of this. This is a game to them, you know? It's really unfortunate. And that's why we're also playing that game and being, you know what? Chinga la mira, you know? Like FIs also and like this whole FTP movement, right? But I want to show you guys a video. I came home and I work, I'm a part of, a, I'm a member of Mi Gente, which is a Latinx. And you can actually see it here. I'll show you. Mi Gente is a national digital grassroots hub for pro-Latinx uh, pro people, pro-black, pro-women, pro-queer, pro-poor, because the communities are all that at the same time. So, all right, so Chingana Mira is definitely a tour that's highlighting what grassroots organizations are doing, how they're resisting and challenging ICE and deportation um, and immigration jails. Um, and we wanted to go out to places where you really didn't hear what was going on, right? And like things that ICE doesn't really want you to know, but really know the stories of resilience and resistance that are actually going on there, regardless of all the retaliation and all the new ugly policy. Across the country, ICE, or La Migra, is ramping up their attacks on our community. I wanna see the war! 
Man, that you're watching too much movies. We have five kids. Drop the phone! Trump's using ICE as his national police force, tearing mothers from their children and targeting activists across our movement. Just a few weeks ago, I was locked up in Eloy Detention Center, fighting my deportation. I was angry, unsure of what was in my future because places like that are meant to make you disappear. I knew that my being there was for a bigger reason. I come out with so much, like, more stories inside, more ideas, more just dreams of, like, how we're going to get our women back. If we can't destroy these walls, we got to steal them back. <laughs> Though the walls were cold, I didn't feel alone for one minute during my detention because Mi Gente and supporters showed up for me with letters, calls, and nonstop organizing. La Migra finally gave in and released me because we stood strong together. You may know what's happening in Washington, D.C., but do you know what's going down in North Carolina? In Seattle? They are under attack and they're fighting back. Mi Gente and I are hitting the road this summer. Join us as we connect with communities from border towns to coastal cities and everywhere in between to bring you stories La Migra doesn't want you to hear. Stories about love, resilience, and resistencia. Y no te dejes que te chinga la migra. So basically, really making clear that the administration has its own police force when it comes to immigration also. When folks leave regular state prisons, federal prisons, they have another process when, they are, when their status is undocumented. Um, more and more private jails and facilities are being built facilities that don't see any benefit in giving any support or educational or vocational programs. So women are held indefinitely because of new policies, right? There's this new law was put also that there is no bond anymore for folks seeking asylum or for people with criminal records. So people are literally being held there indefinitely. A woman I remember being there and she didn't have court till February of 2019. It just, the healthcare there is just awful, right? That's also another contract that ICE has. So when you are having issues like my roommate was having and she was complaining and I was kind of trying to, to translate for her and, and do all of that, um, all they did was brush their hands and say like they have another contract. The process is that we just have to ask if they went to sit call and if they didn't, we can't call up. She just has to go at five in the morning and that's it. Um, and there's just no, no accountability at all. Like women can don't keep, they don't have copies of anything that they put in, any concerns, complaint, complaints, anything like that. There's no way to track that you can't make copies of anything so the women it's really hard for 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 us to organize in there and i wanted to say also that like when i was in there it was really tough to be organizing as well because the retaliation there it was to a to a big extreme they definitely put people in in the hole they call it there and actually also where the women where they do have the hole or whatnot um it's actually in like the general population pod so like that's something that I'm really trying to right now expose and, and focus on. They have women also in the same place where they hold folks that are, I don't know, they may even have just like a health reason why they have to be, you know, away from population. But even when there's people being held in solitary confinement, the women don't come out if the folks in solitary are out for a shower and for various reasons. And I think that's actually like illegal to um, house them together. So. Yeah, retaliation of that, retaliation of taking your visits away, right? A lot of folks happen to be in community, and Arizona is really big, so a lot of folks get to travel hour and a half. Some women that I met are from there, so their house is like five minutes away. So retaliation through taking your commissary away, your phone calls, you know, uh, 
for just even locking us locking us up in our cells when we did the hunger strike before we would get, we wouldn't be able to come out they would ask everybody and look at your food and ask you if you're eating and you know so it's just really hard for for yeah for the women to to really organize and, and, and judge them some stuff down from inside we didn't, I never even saw the warden come through, you know, never saw any DHS officers, which are supposed to be, ICE officers are supposed to be supervising, right? They're, they're, you know, contracting CCA. And that's not how it was before. So it's, it's, it's gotten worse and worse. So it's really, really hard for folks to be supported and organized from within. There's no, besides the legal, the one legal nonprofit organization that's helping out, I mean, and mind you, there's 90% of people that don't get defense there. As undocumented people, you don't get like a public defender, none of that. You have to have your own means of getting defense there. So there's only that organization and some visitation groups, but there's nothing else that's really supporting their women. Um, and people are dying there all the time. I think Eloy has the worst rate of deaths. Folks like Detention Watch Network are, you know, keeping track of all those things, but it's just not enough, right? It's not enough people being upset and pissed off to do the work that needs to be done. I have a lot of respect for the work being done in Seattle, the Northwest Detention Center, because the the people from inside are resisting through hunger strikes. They have really dope, if anybody's here that does work in immigration or even just for Spanish-speaking people in jails, there's like, uh, you know, ways to like start hunger strikes in Spanish, like little toolkits, you know, and stuff like that. Um, but the people from inside are leading the work around um, around that detention center. And there's been maybe like 12 hunger strikes ever since, you know. Um, but that's because also they had support from the community outside that's really, 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 um, yeah, supporting that work and really exposing. Like everybody knows here, the media is one of our biggest, you know, ways to like expose and put a face to what's really happening. If you see this... Here, deep, it says deportee. I know it probably makes some folks cringe, um, but that's exactly what it is, right? Like looking at somebody who's a deportee, who's like literally going through this and has been going through it. And and, um, and to be really honest, most folks go through this for years and years. It's not something that's fast and it gets out of the way. Like it's such a backlog that people are not hearing their cases for years and years. And meanwhile, a lot of things can happen because you're just in the hands of them, right? Like I was arrested. The reason, I think I didn't even mention this, I'm sorry, the reason I was basically re-detained again the second time when I went to court in Tucson, I'm from Tucson, Arizona, was because of the arrest in Virginia against the Department of Homeland Security. So doing some of the work that I was organizing in Virginia and near Richmond in Chesterfield County, we did a, a protest to highlight and expose a really clandestine center, Department of Homeland Security Center that was processing folks. And I got arrested there by a DHS officer without any warning, and he just went rogue and um, really hurt me. I mean, I was on my knees, bloody knees, na broken nails. Um, but it was really, really insane, and that prompted immigration to detain me again when I went to check in for my next check-in. So hygiene is only given to us once a week. It's always given upon request always available upon request but the part is the problem is that they actually don't have it with them so sorry so it's always it should be available upon request but it hardly is so they give you hygiene only once and it's like a little bottle like this and you know your little baby toothbrush they don't give you any deodorant you know they just give you a little toothpaste but it's really hot in Arizona right it's really really hot and women don't have money for commissary so that's all they rely on so it's just really tough. It's always a fight. These officers act like they actually like pay for it themselves, right? 
instead of giving you like two little bars of soap, some of them will give you one. Some of them will like give you a hard time like as to when you asked for it the last time. I remember I had a little argument with somebody who didn't want to give me toilet paper because they gave me toilet paper yesterday. And I'm like, bro, I like blow my nose with it. I clean with it. I do everything with it. I don't have paper towels, you know? Like it's a lot about like, it's, it's having, it's, it's resistant in those senses too at the same time because it was every time that they tried to deprive you of something, show you that you didn't deserve something, right? Um, the women, the biggest thing the women said there is that they didn't want to feel like they were criminals, which was a really tough conversation for me to have because I'm like, dude, not even criminals deserve that, right? Not even people with criminal records deserve this. But it was really tough. I think that's the biggest complaint that um, the women always wrote about and tried to get ICE to come. And ICE actually came really quick when it came to hygiene. Um, but it was the fact that like women were discouraged to do that. There was no way to con- to uh, make that a concern or complain about it. So what the women were doing was getting like a regular immigration case form and then telling ICE they're not giving us hygiene and then ICE would come. But it had to be that person to be like, well, I'm going to do it this way, you know? So but there was no actual way to... Um, to voice that concern. So even though it was upon request, it was really never available and it was always a fight. Um, it used to be given to, they used to give us the hygiene little pack of everything, right? Um, twice a week and when I was there, they started doing it once a week. This time around when I came in there, like I said, I came in as this like person that was really activated. So. Um, and they got to see all the support that I got in there. They started asking questions. I really wouldn't talk. I used some of my time there to really just relax. I had been organizing and strategizing and doing all this for so long that I was just like, I just want to read. And I got so many good, good books that I was like completely in, uh, focused with that. But they started asking me questions and started, and I started coming coming out and just you know spending more time with them. And they got to just hear stories about all of the work that we do from outside. Um, so they were really completely in love with all of this. They've never, it's women that literally have had no resources and like that have never been asked the question, um, what do you really want? How do you, how would, you know, how do you dream this future? What kind of support do you need? Like, because of the work that I do naturally, I was talking to women that were like, you know, and had their children taken away. Again, a lot of sexual assault, domestic violence, and doing a lot of this reproductive justice work that I do, um, asking questions of like, what does the future look like, right? What, how can we how can we do this differently? What do you need? And women have never been asked that, and they kind of fell in love with dreaming, you know? So it was really nice. I built a lot of, a lot of relationships. Women are just calling, just like kind of telling me everything. Uh, right now, maybe around, I want to say around 40 women got um, taken away from the detention center in the middle of the night and sent to Adelanto, California making more room for more people coming in from the border. And these are women that um, have cases that have been there already a longer time and that they're just trying to get out of the way, basically. So a lot of women right now are just displaced and away from their communities even further. So yeah, I mean, right now I'm just trying to support, kind of see all the lacks that like the visitation group and the legal um, folks can't do and building a collective of women to go and get trained and do some of the services, maybe like Department of Child Safety, right? Helping women navigate how to give up give their rights to their family or deal with all of that. But I think the women are just really happy that they have somebody who was in there and is actually out and doing this work and that they really trust. But it was beautiful to talk about all of the things. We talked about reproductive justice, right? Um, abortions, which is great. All of the things that they've never really had an opportunity to talk about and just learning about what activism means to and organizing and really like knowing that you deserve better. All those conversations I took in, and a lot of women shared a lot of testimony that they want me to make public. So it's really, really nice. My phone doesn't stop ringing. It's great to know that 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 women um, 
want to come back out to and, and join join what we're doing in Arizona. I'm curious. Uh, I got to go and see some of the court dates and stuff, and I noticed also a, a lot of people did not have English or Spanish as their first language. So what about people that are being held in detention that don't have English or Spanish as their first language? How are they able to navigate the system? Pretty sure you get an interpreter in court, but almost every all the paperwork you get from the, the government is in English. You do get interpretation during your court, but again, you don't have any defense there. Um, Obviously, the Florence Project, who does the legal aid work, helps with all that and translating stuff. But women there learn how to transfer, you know, translate documents and how to help women. Like we, that community is there, and and and, and Eloy, it's really beautiful to see that women are in there helping each other out. This has been KiteLine. Anyone affected by the prison system in any form is welcome to write us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box two four two two, Bloomington, Indiana. 47402. KiteLine wants your feedback. You can reach us via email at kitelineradio at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. You can hear previous episodes of our show or get more information on the prisoners or stories covered on KiteLine at our website, kitelineradio.noblogs.org. You can also find our podcast on iTunes. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. We are not responsible for all views expressed on the program. WFHB, its contributors, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the views expressed on the show. Thank you for listening.